0: Hi and welcome to Asia Rising, a podcast from Latrobe Asia at Latrobe University. I'm your host Gerald Roach, senior lecturer in politics, and today on the podcast we'll look at Indigenous language politics in the Philippines. There are around 170 languages spoken in the Philippines, as well as speakers of English, Spanish and several Chinese languages. Most people are multilingual, with more than 90% of the population speaking one or more language. My guest today knows several of these languages and has studied many.
1: Hi, I'm Tuting Hernandez, the UP Department of Linguistics
0: here in the Philippines. Tuting is a professor of linguistics at the University of the Philippines, Diliman, and he and I have been working together researching issues of human rights and indigenous languages in Asia. He begins by giving me an idea of the language diversity in the Philippines and how those languages are spread throughout the country. So just to start the interview, could you give us a little bit of an overview of linguistic diversity in the Philippines? How many languages are spoken here, and how are they spread throughout the country?
1: Well, we have around 175 indigenous languages. But of course, there's also English and Spanish and several Chinese languages spoken in the country. Of the 175 indigenous languages, most of them are descendants of Proto-Philippines. Mm. And we can subgroup them into 11 distinct groups. Yeah, it's quite a diverse country linguistically. Mm. And most of the people in the Philippines are multilingual. They speak more than one language, apart from you know their first language. And there's Filipino, which you learn in schools, and then English. And the way I notice it, the farther you are from the centers, the more languages you you speak. Mm-hmm. I myself speak one of the Biko languages, Filipino and then English. But you know people in in my community, near my community, they probably speak four or five more languages. Mm-hmm. My first language is actually the dominant language of the of the
0: area. When people are thinking about the languages that they speak. How relevant is that idea of indigenous language or being an indigenous person? Are they politically and linguistically relevant concepts to people here?
1: That's a very tricky question. Actually, the idea of indigeneity in the Philippines is quite problematic, but it has been defined. People who are who have less access to resources, who are struggling, who are in the countryside, are. And most of them are considered indigenous, but people in the centers, like you know, Tagalog peoples of Metro Manila, they're no longer defined as indigenous. So it's it's been a struggle. It's it's also difficult to define without going into it politically, mm-hmm. because if we're just going to define it by the semantic denotation of indigenous, it's either we're all indigenous, or since we're traveling Austronesians, then the only indigenous people would be the first people in the Philippines, the Negrito groups. Mm-hmm. But then that's not the case as well. I mean, politically, it's a different definition. It's also a very important classification because a lot of access to resources and land depend on that.
0: So with that background of indigeneity being complex here, it's partly political, it's partly a location, it's where you Mm. are, it's where you are physically and where you are in hierarchies as well. How does that interact with the global environment of kind of transnational indigenous politics? People here in the Philippines tied into the United Nations mechanisms. Are they involved in transnational indigenous politics with places like New Zealand, or Sweden, mm. Canada, and so on? There are a lot of
1: non-governmental organizations that are based on being indigenous. Mm. And they have their own networks in terms of the United Nations. Well, there are representatives from the Philippines, you know, that's in the United Nations, but I'm not so sure about whether they're representing indigeneity. And one of the things that needs to be done, I think, is to be able to network all of these groups Mm -hmm. within the country and outside of the country who shares the same advocacy, Mm -hmm. that has to be done.
0: Yeah. So I'll use that opportunity to bring the conversation back to language now. We're in the United Nations International Decade for Indigenous Languages. And that kind of networking, that kind of connecting up Indigenous organizations to help address this common threat that Indigenous languages around the world are facing. So I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the challenges that communities are facing with their languages here is there a feeling in some of these communities that their languages are precarious their languages are under threat is that a concern for people in the philippines at the moment it is
1: now Mm. i think a third of our languages are endangered 40 50 languages Mm -hmm. that are endangered i remember back in the 90s when one of our professors alerted us to To the idea of Mm -hmm. language endangerment. And nobody was taking it seriously. He asked us to create an exhibit, you know, just to inform people about what's happening. Mm -hmm. And this was early on, this was in the early 90s. Yeah. Even before linguists outside were talking about it. Mm. But nobody was taking it seriously. Nobody was really talking about it. It was not until, what, 10 years ago since people started talking about it. Mm.
0: Can I ask, what's changed in that time? Like, how did that shift in attitudes take place from one where there was lone voices trying to raise concern, no one worried about it, to where we are today, where it's uh, more a topic of concern? How did that change?
1: I think there's several factors. One of which is the international conversation about Mm. endangered languages, so people are talking about it outside, so eventually it became part of the conversation in the Philippines as well. Mm-hmm. The Department of Linguistics of UP has also been campaigning since mm-hmm. the nineties. But the department then was rather small. Yeah. Okay. So now that we've expanded, we have more people. Mm-hmm. So we were able to create more fora and venue for you know people to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So I think it's also part of it. And Lately, we've noticed local organizations in the different provinces that are also advocating for language rights. Mm -hmm. So people are starting to notice that we're shifting to another language and Mm -hmm. we need to do something about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are several local groups who are actively working on that.
0: So in this new context of heightened awareness around issues of language endangerment, more active civil society around the country... What has the response been at the national level? Is this concern being reflected in new policies or? No.
1: (laughs) Unfortunately. Unfortunately, our politicians are more concerned with how Filipinos need to learn English. Right. And that's it. Recently, there was a a bill, the MTB, MLE, Multilingual Education uh-huh. And now it's under attack. They want to review it and scrap it and go back to English as a sole medium of instruction.
0: Did it provide some support for mother tongue education? And that's now being criticized.
1: Yeah, it did. So people in the provinces, in, in different regions, in, you know, and belonging to different linguistic groups, started to think about teaching in their first language. Mm-hmm. So... A lot of materials from K to three, you know, were developed using uh, all these indigenous languages, Mm -hmm. and then recently Congress wants to repeal it, to just put a stop to it and go back to English. Mm -hmm. I think it's also a reaction to the placing of the Philippines in those international testing
0: stuff. Right. Okay.
1: It's a reaction to that. So it's under review, but I think Congress will have a hard time because people know better.
0: So it sounds like from that, there has been some activity at the local level in terms of developing curriculum, developing schooling materials Mm. to enable people to learn and learn through their mother tongues. Could you tell us a little bit more about what's being done by communities around the countries outside of formal education to... Support their languages in the context of this new heightened awareness that people have.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, people are now starting to translate works as well. You know, I know I know several groups who are translating even the classics to their first language. So I think that's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of small publishing houses and bookstores who are doing that. Mm-hmm. They aren't making money really, but. Mm-hmm they see this as important for for their community to have access to all of these different works. Mm -hmm. So that's going on. A lot of communities are also establishing their own types of schools that may not necessarily be aligned with education departments. Unfortunately, some of these have been threatened by government. During the last administration, they've even threatened that they were going to be bombed.
0: What was the justification for these threats towards... Schools? I mean that sounds excessive.
1: Ms. Government believe that it's a breeding ground for insurgents. Mm-hmm. They equate critical thought maybe to terrorism and to insurgencies. Mm-hmm. All these different smaller groups were starting to raise their voices. They've realized that they have to have a say in government. Yeah. Because of all these alternative schools. So now it became a threat to government.
0: Right. Is that specific to that area or are schools in other places facing similar challenges where acting with autonomy, acting mm. under the principle of self-determination is viewed as some kind of threat? Oh,
1: it's all over. It's not just in Mindanao. Mm. In there are schools in the Visayas, even the alternative schools here in UP. Mm-hmm. They're all threatened.
0: It sounds like there's a general kind of indifference leaning towards hostility at the level of the national government towards these community efforts in support of endangered languages. To what extent do you think having an international decade of indigenous languages is going to provide some support and legitimacy and encouragement to those communities in what sounds like very difficult circumstances? Do you think it will make a concrete difference to them?
1: Yeah, I think so. Only because the communities know about it. Mm-hmm. So they know that we're celebrating you know, a decade of indigenous languages and this is our time to do our stuff. The way I see it from government's point of view, it's just lip service. Right. But I think it has a different impact on people in the communities. Yep.
0: You've mentioned several times the notion of language rights and people advocating for their rights. The United Nations is also advocating for people to take a human rights approach to language advocacy and support for indigenous languages. How do you think that will sit more broadly within political developments in The Philippines recently, you talked about these campaigns against terrorists, the idea of difference as a threat and so on. Are human rights activists and civil society more broadly facing challenges that are likely to impact the decade, do you think?
1: What's weird about the Philippines is that despite the linguistic diversity, people don't see the languages itself as important. At Mm -hmm. least people in government, they don't see it as important. Mm. It's good that we're having a you know, discussion about this, and we're starting to bring in people from the Commission of Human Rights, and Mm. Commission for Indigenous Peoples, and even the Language Commission. So we're bringing them in, and yeah, we're now starting to talk about linguistic rights. It's something that people never really considered.
0: Yeah, I think, unfortunately, that reflects the situation globally, this idea of language rights or linguistic human rights. Mm. It's a marginal concept globally, so it's nice to see that the UN is driving this to the center of discussions around indigenous languages during this time. And we've Uh,
1: always been saying it's a basic right. mm -hmm. It's just a basic human right. Mm -hmm.
0: So in the upcoming decade, for you, what are your plans and hopes? What would you like to see change during that decade and what do you think you'll be doing to work towards that mm. goal?
1: We celebrate and yet we take space and we fight. We've organized the Kating Collective, it's a voluntary organization that, you know, looks into the linguistic situation in the Philippines and hopefully with the help of the UP Linguistics Department, we'll be able to do more fieldwork and organizing in the grassroots level mm-hmm. If government will listen to you, then perhaps you can organize people in the grassroots level. That's the plan.
0: Can you tell us a little bit more about where the Kartik Collective is at now? I know that it was only recently established. What have you done in that time? I've seen that you, you have this very nice statement about the aims of the organization, your philosophy in yeah. relation to language and so on. Could you tell us a little bit about that statement, how it came together and so on?
1: It started out as a class project. We instituted a new course called Language Endangerment in the Philippines. It's a special topics course. And there were around 20 students who enlisted in the course. And we were thinking, instead of just coming up with papers and their projects and submitting them to me and marking them for their grades, we thought that maybe we have to bring this outside the classroom. Mm-hmm. so people can read it and inspire, perhaps, in groups to do the same. So suggestion was, why don't we come up with a website? So that's what we did. It wasn't me just telling them, "Oh, we're doing a website. No, it was them thinking, it's such a waste if we don't bring this outside. Mm-hmm. So we did the website, and some of them stayed, volunteered even after the course. Mm-hmm. So now we have a new batch of students in that class mm-hmm. in language endangerment in the Philippines, and some are volunteering to be part of the collective as well. Hopefully we can do our fieldwork, mm-hmm. so we can go around the country and you know, talk to people about language endangerment and language rights and, mm-hmm. and all of that. That's the plan. Mm-hmm.
0: And can I ask, amongst your students, are some of them speakers of these endangered languages? I imagine like a city like Metro Manila, institutions like University of the Philippines must be drawing people from all over the Mm. country. And there must be elements of that enormous diversity all concentrated here in Manila. So I'm kind of curious about the life of indigenous languages here at the university and in the city Mm. more broadly.
1: Most of the people who make it to university are people from the centers as well. Uh-huh. So it's the big languages. Mm. So yeah, if I remember right, most of my students are either you know speakers of Tagalog and Cebuano and Ilocano, the big languages. Right.
0: And then elsewhere in the city, are there, for example, migrant workers who come in from the provinces bringing their indigenous languages to the city as well. You talked about going out to do field work. Is is it possible to stay home and do field work here? They lose it though. Mm.
1: Before, we were trying to map out Metro Manila and there are communities from different ethnolinguistic groups. Mm -hmm. But I think the second, third generation are now speaking Tagalog. They they don't even speak their languages anymore.
0: Right. Interesting. And so what are your plans with field work when you get out to there? Will you be recording the languages? as well as raising awareness.
1: Yeah, we have to do both. Yeah, Come up with a description of the language, look at their situation as well. and
0: That's a lot of work you have ahead of you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> to kind of bring the conversation to a close, going back to that idea that part of the United Nations decade, the plan is to build connections between indigenous communities all around the world. So we have listeners who will be in Australia or in other contexts around Asia and in other places, including indigenous people and speakers of indigenous languages. And I'm just wondering what message you have to share with them about this global problem of indigenous language loss.
1: It's something that we have to really talk about across different groups. We have similar experiences. They're different, but they're parallel. Mm -hmm. So we have to start talking about what happened to us and move from there. And that can be done by talking to each other, by comparing experiences and the past and all of that. So, yeah, looking forward to talking to people about what happened to them. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much, Tuting. That's been fantastic. Thank you. That was Tuting Hernandez, a professor in the Department of Linguistics at the University of the Philippines, Diliman, and you've been listening to Asia Rising, a podcast from Latrobe Asia. You can find Latrobe Asia on Twitter, at Latrobe Asia, and you can find me, Gerald Roach, at G. Joseph Roach. This podcast was recorded in Manila and produced at Latrobe University in Melbourne, Australia, on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. I'm Gerald Roach, and thanks for listening.